Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. We are seeing a tragic humanitarian crisis unfold as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Millions of people displaced from Ukraine fleeing the country. How does the world address this? What can be done? We wanted to talk more about this humanitarian crisis, so we caught up with Dr. Lynn Hartnett. She is an associate professor of history at Villanova University. So as we are talking middle of March, several weeks into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we are seeing really a catastrophic humanitarian crisis unfold before our eyes, are we not? We certainly are. How bad is it right now? Is this one of the worst situations you've seen in recent history? It certainly is. Uh, and it's actually the, the worst situation that we've seen in Europe uh, since the end of World War II um, from a perspective of both refugees sieges within Ukraine itself, uh, cultural and environmental dangers. It is just, it's horrifyingly bad. How do we as a global society start to handle this? I mean, there's obviously stop the invasion, but putting kind of the military, just the sheer numbers, millions of people fleeing Ukraine. How do we start to, if it's even possible, get our arms around this? It's a great question. Uh, and I think that's the most immediate issue that we have to tackle, right? I mean, the the, the number of refugees that we're seeing is uh, amazing. It's it's reaching the levels that they projected and we never really thought that we, we would get there. So as of today, there the estimates are that about uh, at least 2 million Ukrainians are internally displaced. Displaced. Beyond that, there's three million who have left the border, uh, left across the borders uh, into other countries. Um, and the issue is, what do we do with these these people? We we focus on numbers oftentimes when we talk about refugee crises, and yet we, when we dig down, we have to remember that each one of these numbers is an individual. So there are um, families, and for the most part, the Ukrainians who are fleeing Ukraine are women and children. 30% of the 3 million who have fled Ukraine as refugees are children. Uh, You hear reports of Ukrainian mothers who are beset with difficulties, and yet their focus is trying to keep their children alive and trying to minimize the the trauma that they're going through. To put it into context, at the end of World War II, we had 60 million people displaced. So we're not reaching those levels. But at the end of World War I, there were 6 million people in Europe displaced. We're coming dangerously close to those numbers. Uh, After World War II, the UN formed the UNHCR to try to deal with, to respond to the humanitarian crisis that came from from refugees. Um, And thank goodness that we have these, these institutions in place. The Western countries, the United States, NATO, are coming to uh, to the aid of these people. There are some countries that are engaged in heroic efforts to to help the refugees. Uh, Poland, for example, has taken in well over a million of the refugees who have fled Ukraine, and that's typical. In almost all refugee crises, the con- the neighboring countries are those 
that take in the disproportionate share of those fleeing a crisis. What should people understand? Because I think you, you pointed out like there's the number and then each of these numbers is a family or a story. Mm-hmm. Kind of what should people need to understand about what these folks are going through? Because it's I, I don't know if people that are kind of spoiled like I am, you know, who's never been in the middle of something like this and has had a very uh, lucky, happy life to just have every avenue of your world completely shut off or turned in a different direction. Right. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that I've never had to deal with it. I just understand a little bit of what these people are going through from uh, the historical subjects that I study and from from watching this. But first of all, there's there's different categories, right? There's the, initially the immediate physical needs that these people are facing. The, even if they're fortunate enough to get out of the country without an injury, a physical injury, uh, there is the trauma of what they've gone through. They are in shock. They are, they, they've had no time to prepare. Usually they leave with a bag if they're lucky enough to leave with a bag or to carry their children to safety. So they're dealing with um, physical and material needs. They're dealing with the shock of what they've been through. They're dealing, especially in this case, with separation of families. We don't see whole families leaving. We see men between the ages of 18 and 60 staying in Ukraine. And so here are uh, mothers and children um, who are going to a place that they often don't know the language, they have no no connections to, they've never been to before, and their partners, their fathers, their sons, their brothers are staying at home. Um, and when they get there, they are completely dependent on the goodwill of foreigners. And although the international community has been wonderfully generous up to this point, uh, there's a, a level of dislocation that comes from being um, so dependent. Exile uh, it used to be a, a punishment, for example, that was given to political prisoners or enemies of a certain regime. Um, here, what we see in the, the 20th and the 21st century are these situations of exile or refugee, refugee status um, that one scholar, uh, Edward Said, called a cruel punishment of which whole communities and peoples are subjected to. And so it is just a shock. Um, and what, what they're probably hoping, right, is, it, is that this is temporary. So there is a level of hope that's sustaining them that this dislocation, this rupture from being home is just temporary, that the few possessions that they have, they will retain and that they can probably go home back to their lives. Um, but as we can see that that's far from a certainty at this point. Yeah. That was kind of my next question is there is the, the people fleeing we're seeing cities destroyed systematically, uh, buildings destroyed. Is it fair to say that when we've had these mass events like this of, of people, mass humanitarian events, a majority of the people won't return to the country uh either because they set roots somewhere else or there's just nothing left to go back to like are we seeing like a fundamental change of the population of ukraine we very well could be the issue is one of the things that distinguishes in my mind this crisis from others is that unlike the situation in syria 
right? Where most of the displaced Syrians are still displaced. They are still either internally displaced within Syria or outside of Syria's borders. It, it, that was the result of a civil war. Right? In, in this case, we have this external invasion. And so there's this hope that perhaps if the Russians, if Putin can be pushed out, then there will be this ability to uh, return home. And for the most part, for all agencies that work with refugees, their ideal is repatriation. Right. Uh, so you have this these three stages that you have this emergency period where you have to render physical assistance, where you have to provide food and shelter and heat and clothing and and safety from bombs. After that, then it turns to either relocation. If the crisis is continuing, where do these people go in the long run so that they're not sitting in refugee camps along a border um, or hopefully repatriation? The hope is that in this case, the Ukrainians will be able to return home. The question becomes, what are they returning home to? We see the siege of Mariupol, for example. The, the people in Mariupol are suffering the worst siege that we've seen since the siege of Sarajevo and, and perhaps even the siege of Leningrad at, in World War II in Russia that killed a million people. Um, there are indications that the Russians are attacking indiscriminately civilian areas, centers of cities. So there's a cultural attack. There's artwork is being lost. The the Ukrainians are doing their best in cities that haven't yet been um, uh, hit to to move out artwork, to put sandbags around um, statues in the center center of Odessa. Uh, the the UN in yesterday just said that before the uh, before this crisis, it was estimated that two percent of Ukraine's population were living in poverty. Depending on how long this goes on, the best estimates that they have is that this that twenty eight percent of Ukrainians' population could be living in poverty. But if this continues, the figures could go up to ninety percent. So the idea is to get back. In my mind, hopefully, if the Ukrainians get back, we are going to need the equivalent of a massive uh, Marshall Plan to rebuild this country um, that has been standing at the at the front lines of the fight against autocracy and authoritarianism coming from Putin. You referenced the Syrian civil war and we saw mass waves of refugees flow into Europe and we saw situations where that changed a lot of the political calculuses in countries who maybe started with open arms. And then we started to see as we tend to in, uh, you know, global in our world, uh, an anti-immigrant, uh, bent as more and more people came in. What are your concerns that this flow, you talk about the open arms to start, but as this goes on, could we see the same thing down the road in countries like Poland and such? That's the big question that we don't know the answer to. Um, as a historian, I, I get uncomfortable pro uh, prognosticating what's going to happen, but um, there are some key differences. Um, one of the things is in refugee crises in the past that we've seen that happen in the heart of Europe, there's a, a more accepting, more generous attitude towards refugees. So for example, in 1956, there was the Hungarian revolution um, that came, uh, 200,000 people fled Hungary after, ironically, Soviet tanks came in. Uh, and there was an outpouring of assistance for those 200,000 Hungarians. One of the reasons is because 
the treatment of these Hungarian refugees said as much about the Western powers that extended the assistance as it did about the Hungarians themselves. So for example, by lending a hand to the Hungarians, the members of NATO, the United States, were able to frame their assistance as a way of a, a slight against Soviet uh, dictatorship uh, and a lack of freedom. In many ways, I think we might see the same thing here, right? That this is, you already see President Biden talking about this as a battle between slide towards autocracy and authoritarianism and illiberalism and democracy. So the treatment of the Ukrainian people who are without a doubt standing on the front lines in this, this defense of democracy, I think it, it will speak to the West and NATO and the U.S. determination to stand firm against um, these illiberal threats. So that's one thing. The, the other thing is this, that you, Europeans have tended to be better poised or more amenable, I should say, to better, better and longer standing treatment of refugees when they are Europeans themselves. And that could be because of uh, culture. It could be uh, because of nationalism or, or even a tinge of racism. Uh, or it, it could be because there is a more immediate proximity to the crisis. So, for example, in the late 1990s, there was a refugee crisis with uh, people fleeing from Kosovo. And there was a dramatic difference in how the people, the refugees from Kosovo were being treated in both the United States and Europe, as opposed to um, other refugee crises. And uh, I think that all of those things play, play in here. And I, I'm hopeful that if this crisis continues, that the long-term commitment of Europe and the United States will remain with the Ukrainian people. And perhaps it could show a model for a better treatment of, of refugees uh, in other, from other parts of the world. The, the, we spend a lot more money on uh, dealing with refugees, or we have in the last 20 years or so, refugees from crises in Europe than we do in how much money we spend on refugees in Africa um, and uh, those from Syria. On a smaller scale i would imagine we are seeing and we will probably as this goes on see an exodus of people from russia maybe not not from bombs necessarily but from fear or because it becomes untenable uh i mean that's just kind of i i'm not as saying that we're going to see the numbers we're seeing in this moment or the uh the crisis that we're seeing in this moment from ukraine but that could just kind of be another level of people displaced and they will be coming into a situation where people are going to be looking at them as the the reason for all this, even if they're just, you know, a shopkeeper who made one anti-Putin statement and wanted to to get out like uh, just kind of another level to this. No. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I can't remember if it was The New York Times or The Washington Post had a story a couple of days ago about Russians who were fleeing, uh, about journalists who all of a sudden realized that they had to get out of um, the country. Um, Russia, I believe, is going to change as a result of this. Ironically, I'm a Russian historian. Uh, my The work I do is on Russia. Um, and I was thinking this morning, the last time I was in Russia was in 2019. 
I don't know when I'm going to get back to Russia. I don't know when I'm going to be able to get back to Russia. The people that are in my world are wondering um, how they're going to finish book projects because, you know, can they gain access to archives in Russia anymore? Are they welcome in Russia? And the other part of that is many of the people that we know and have been associated with in Russia really are in a precarious position. Um, And even there's a lot of fear that even Russians who have had minimal interactions with the with Westerners uh, will find themselves liable to harassment or worse by Putin's regime. So I, I think without a doubt, the especially educated classes, I think we're going to see um, a big outflow of educated Russians. And that will change the dynamic of life in Russia for the foreseeable future. What would you like to see the U.S. It, or what role can the U.S. play strictly in this humanitarian crisis? I mean, obviously provide funds and, and stuff like that. But are are there things specific a power like the U.S. Uh, can really do here, even though we're an ocean away? What What would you like to see the role of the U.S. in this particular situation? I think the need is to keep this situation forefront in the minds of the American public to continue to have the funding come. My great fear is that this will no longer be on the front pages and in the headlines of every uh, TV and radio broadcast. And then what? If for these people to be able to go say, let's pray that the the war in Ukraine ends in, in the near future and that the Ukrainians get their land and their territory and their freedoms back, that they're able to live as a a peaceful, sovereign country once again. And these refugees return to Ukraine. My hope is that with the immediate crisis over, they won't be forgotten, that the United States and other countries will continue to provide the assistance that will be needed. I mentioned the Marshall Plan once before. Uh, I think that's what we need here. The Marshall Plan was fundamental towards transforming Europe from a devastated country after world, uh, a continent after World War II into uh, a trading partner and a bastion of freedom and democracy and liberalism and, and capitalism. Um, I'm hopeful that whereas Ukraine was on the back burner um, after Putin's annexation of Crimea and um, invasions of Eastern Ukraine in 2014, that it won't be any longer. And we'll remember that Ukraine matters, not just for the Ukrainians, but for the worldwide geopolitical situation. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.